For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Every time we come to church, or about 99.9% of the time, because saying something like every time, uh, if you don't do it one time, then you're, then you're a liar. But, but I, would, I would guarantee you 99.9% .9 of the time, if not 100% of the time, we come to church, we hear something along the lines of Jesus was crucified for us. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember the sacrifice that God uh, made for us. We hear a phrase, something along those lines, and a, the question that must be asked is, what exactly did the crucifixion look like? What exactly is it that we are supposed to be remembering? And my goal today is to paint a picture for you all of what it is that we are supposed to be remembering. What exactly does it mean that Jesus was crucified for us? And to tell this story, we must begin about one week prior to the crucifixion of Jesus. And, and when, we, when we back up about one week prior, we will see Jesus commanding his disciples to go and fetch him a donkey. And he tells them that if anyone questions you, tell them that the Lord has need. And the need that Jesus had for this donkey was that he was going to ride this down the streets of Jerusalem. And so the disciples go and fetch him a, a donkey, a young donkey, a colt that has never be, been written, ridden before. And so uh, Jesus puts a cloak over this donkey and he rides down the streets of the Jer Jerusalem. And on the sides of these streets, uh, the people of Jerusalem are waving giant palm leaves and uh, shout, shouting, Hosanna, Lord. They are calling Jesus a king and recognizing his kingship as he is walking down uh, the streets of Jerusalem on a donkey. And so, and, and then we get uh, a little bit further, in, uh, a little bit closer to the crucifixion. And we see Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. And while he's in this, he's in this upper room, he institutes uh, what we know as the Lord's Supper, what it is that we just participated in. He, he breaks the bread and uh, says, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. He, he, and he has the wine, as the Bible says, and he says, this is my blood. And he passes it around, take and eat, take and drink, do this in remembrance of me. And as they're eating, uh, if, as they're eating and drinking and they're being around each other, um, and if you can't tell, by the way, some of this is a bit paraphrased, but as they're with each other, they, Jesus announces that there is a betrayer with them. And uh, all the disciples begin asking, is it me? Is it me? Uh, who is it? Uh, but Jesus already knew who it was, and the person who it was, Judas, already knew that it was him. And so, Jesus, uh, after this institution of the Lord's Supper, uh, he, he 
takes his disciples, um, except for Judas, who had already left, he takes them out into the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he's out in this garden, uh, he leaves most of them kind of far away, and then he takes Peter, James, and John with him a little closer. And he tells them to watch and wait. And, uh, and Jesus goes a little further past Peter, James, and John, and he begins to pray. Uh, and he says, uh, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will be done, but yours. And so Jesus prays this prayer, asking for this, this cup that he's, uh, he knows is about to uh, come about onto him to be, be taken from him. But he recognizes that God's will needs to be done and not his will. And so Jesus prays this prayer. And then he goes back and checks in on his disciples, his, the Peter, James, and John, his three closest friends in life. And, they, and he finds them sleeping. And he wakes them up and he scolds them for, uh, for, for praying or for sleeping while he is praying. And Jesus goes back and prays, finds them sleeping again, and he does it a third time and he finds them sleeping once again. The night prior to Jesus' crucifixion, uh, and he's going to pray uh, to the Father, he finds his three closest friends sleeping. And soon after all of this takes place in the Garden of Gethsemane, they see marching in Roman soldiers with Judas the betrayer. Judas has, had devised this plan that he was going to, to kiss Jesus, kiss the one that they were looking for, so the Jewish leaders could take and arrest Jesus. And so, Judas approaches Jesus, and he kisses Jesus, and he is hauled off and arrested. After Jesus is arrested, he, he's interviewed, he's interrogated by both Jewish leaders and by Roman leaders. And when you, are, when you look at this chain of events that happens, his conversation with Pilate is the one that is most notable and the one that is, in today's world, most talked about. And when you look at Jesus' conversation with, with Pilate in John chapter 18, it is, uh, there is a lot, of, a lot of things that we can see in this conversation. But as Pilate is interrogating Jesus, you can tell that Pilate begins to realize that this man is innocent. But he has a problem. The Jewish people want this man taken care of, but, but because of certain Jewish laws, they can't put him to death at this time, but they want this man dealt with. And Pilate knows that if the Jewish people don't get what they want, they will probably revolt, they will probably cause issues for the Roman Empire, and that would not look good for him. So on the one hand, he has to deal with the threat of... of of revolt if he doesn't put this innocent man to death. But on the other hand, he knows that this man is innocent and the right thing to do was to release him. And as you read this, the conversation, um, Pilate is trying to find any way in this process to let Jesus go 
to appease the Jewish people, but also to let this innocent man go. And it's just not working. And it gets to the point that Jesus, that sorry, Pilate recognizes that they have a custom on this day to release one prisoner back to him. So this is kind of his last chance to try and get this innocent man released. And so he presents Jesus alongside Barabbas. And if you don't know who Barabbas is, Barabbas is a murderer, an insurrectionist, and a robber. This man is causing issues for the Roman Empire and for the Jewish people. He is killing, he is robbing, he is this just, we would view this awful man. And then there's Jesus, this man who some might view as a little crazy, but has done nothing wrong. And so, if you infer a little bit, it, it kind of seems like Pilate thinks this is going to be an easy choice. They obviously don't want the man that has been robbing and murdering from, uh, from them to go back to them. So they're going to call for Jesus' release. And so Pilate asks them, which one shall I release to you? And they shout, Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And so... Pilate grants them their wish and asks what should be done with Jesus, and they shout, crucify him, crucify him. The same people that one week prior were waving palm leaves and declaring that Jesus was their king are now shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And so, Aware that they aren't going to change their mind, Pilate is willing to give them what they want. And so, Pilate, along with some other Roman officials, take them back to a more secluded, private courtyard. And before the crucifixion, Jesus is beaten. And what this looks like, if you don't know, there is a giant wooden pole in the ground with either chains or ropes at the top of this pole, and the, the, the prisoner is stripped completely naked, and he is, he's on his knees, and his hands are chained to the top of this giant pole. And, uh, and this leaves the back completely bare to the Roman that is about to do the beating. And if you don't know what they are being beaten with, I'll, I'll describe it to you, a... A uh, flagrum is a, is a tool that the Romans would use to beat their prisoners. And these, these whips could have anywhere from three to more than ten ends on it. And if you look at different sources, they're going to tell you different answers. But somewhere, no less than three, but probably no more than twelve ends. And uh, probably around seven to, the seven to eight mark. And at the end of each of these uh, whip ends... There were either lead balls, sharp bone, or sharp rock attached to each end. And uh, in, in the kind of the, 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 the world of Christianity today, we are, we are told that Jesus was beaten 30 times. And what that comes from is Jewish, uh, Jewish law stated that a prisoner couldn't be beaten more than 40 times. So to prevent them from going over 40 they would stop at 39 in case there was a miscounting anywhere in the process. But the, these aren't the Jews doing the be beating. These are the Romans doing the beatings. And they had torture down to a science. Mm -hmm. 
And so they would have a medical professional on standby, and they would, the medical professional would stop the Roman guard from beating the prisoner until one more stripe would kill the person. So Jesus was beaten all to the edge of death with a whip that sole job wasn't just to leave marks or scars on the back, but its job was to rip out chunks of flesh from their back. And so at the end of this process, you could probably see bone exposed, and you would see this back torn up, looking like hamburger meat or ground beef. Just this terrible, absolutely awful, inhumane practice. And so, after they beat him, they dress him with a crown of thorns and a scarlet robe. And on this side of the cross, the symbolism is pretty apparent. The, the crown of thorns is a mocking representation of his kingship. And the, the scarlet robe is a representation of the sins that he was going to bear on the cross. And the, the Roman soldiers, as they do this, they begin to mock him and mockingly call him king. And they, they nail a board written in three languages on top of the cross, uh, which uh, declares him the king, king of the Jews. Just this awful mocking process right after he's being beaten. And so, after he is, uh, he is given some of his clothes back and then dressed with this crown of thorns and and the, the scarlet robe, he is, he is led out and uh, back in front of the Jewish people. And this process was one that left the person very disfigured. And you see in, uh, in John's account, you see Pilate saying, behold the man. This was to convince him, not that this was a different person, because maybe this process left him uh, a little bit disfigured, looking like someone else. But this... He says this to convince him that this is a human. He looks so disfigured that he doesn't even look like a human. So Pilate has to convince the audience or the crowd that this was the man that they, they arrested, they sent to be crucified. And, that, uh, and so they seem to be convinced. And so he begins to be led to where he's going to be crucified. And... Uh, and uh, what, what this process looked like was oftentimes we see in, in shows, movies, or pictures, or whatever it might be, Jesus carrying his whole cross to the, the hill of Golgotha. But what it is is the giant center beam that stands in the ground would probably already be where it is that he was going to be crucified. And Jesus' wrists would be tied to the longboard across his back, and be made to carry down the streets of Jerusalem about one-third of a mile to the top of this hill. And there's a couple factors that we need to remember at this time. Is that one, this is the Middle East, this is the Palestine-Israel, uh, modern-day Palestine-Israel area. And uh, so we, it is the Middle East, it is hot, it is dry. You also have to remember that he, his back is completely tore open, so he doesn't have a lot of strength. Also, uh, probably the last thing he drank of was the, the wine in the upper room, so he's probably already dehydrated. And he's 
almost to the point of death. And so he's walking these streets and on, aligned on these streets are once again the same people shouting, uh, shouting uh, Hosanna, Lord, about one week prior. Uh, but this time they are aligned the streets and they are mocking him. They are spitting on him. They are, some of them maybe even running up and hitting him or throwing things at him. And he is marched to where he's going to be crucified, but he is so weak that he has to get help from someone else to carry his cross. And this man is named Simon of uh, Serene. He's, he's uh, visiting from, from Africa. And so um, he is called upon by the, Roman, the Romans to help Jesus carry his cross up the hill. And, and then we get to the place where Jesus is going to be crucified. And if you think uh, what has happened so far was awful, it gets worse. The, the, the clothes that was put back on his back uh, was kind of acted as a, almost a, uh, like a scab, because if nothing was back there, he would have bled out. So this scabbed up on his back, and he, the guards ripped the, ba- uh, the clothes off his back, like ripping a scab off, but all the way down your back. Um, and they, they untied him from the, from the bar. They put the bar in the notch of the, the longer pole, and they stood Jesus up in front of the cross, and they, they shoved him down to be laying on the, on the cross, but on the ground, and they would yank both of his arms, and this would cause shoulder dislocations, elbow dislocations, and wrist dislocations. They would do the same with his legs, but it would dislocate at the hip, the knee, and the ankles. And then they would nail the feet in, and they would nail the wrists in. They would nail right here where the gap in between your hand and your, uh, and your arm is and your wrist. And what's also in that gap was, uh, was the nerve that you hit when you hit your funny bone. So every time you move, you get a shockwave of pain all up and down your body. It's this awful, brutal process. And so he is nailed into this cross. And he is, he is pulled up and he is hung in front of the mocking crowd. And while you're on this cross, the only way you can breathe is by pulling yourself up, by pushing down on your feet and lifting yourself up on the wrists. And he chooses to use his breath to say a few different words. One of the more notable phrases that he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He has just experienced one of, if not the most painful processes of, of death that a human being can go through. And he still chooses to call out to their Father to forgive these people. And so... Um, he, Jesus is hanging there. Jesus is suffering to breathe. And eventually Jesus dies on the cross. And at this point, the, the other two people hanging next to him were still, were still alive. So they came and break, broke his legs, but they saw Jesus was already dead because they stuck a spear through his side and water and blood that was separated came out. So there was no need to break, their le- uh, break his legs. And 
they took him down. Uh, a lot of that I just explained was paraphrased. I didn't necessarily reference scripture too much. I have scriptural references. If you would like them, I would, be, I would feel, if you would like them, I would love to email them or send them to you in some way or get them to you however I can. But there's two passages, uh, two or three passages I would like to, to look at very briefly before we kind of close out. The first one is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, if you would turn there with me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the same, uh, the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In this verse, there was a lot to be said. There was a lot to expound upon in this verse. But there, for our purposes this morning, there is one specific phrase that I want to look at. And that is, in verse 2, it says, Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. I just des described this process the first, the first few times that I looked at this content and processed it and uh, kind of developed it into a lesson. It made me tear up because of how awful this process was. But not only that, how, uh, how innocent the man being put through it was. He died this shameful, awful death, but he still saw joy in it. And the question must be asked, what joy is found in that process? That process of being beaten, your back tore up, and this, the process of being nailed to that cross, what joy is found in it? And I believe that that joy that was found in this process was the joy of salvation that Jesus knew He was going to provide. Jesus knew that His death would provide salvation for millions, if not more, people throughout all of time. And He knew that His death would provide a way for people to be made right in the sight of God. And I, there's one, uh, another passage that I would like to look at this morning, and that is Romans chapter 5, verses uh, 6 through 11. Romans chapter 5, verses 6, 6 through 11, which says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person would, one would dare even to die. But God chose His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. A couple important words to, to clarify if you're not familiar with them. Justification is the process of, of being 
made uh, right in the sight of God. It is uh, the process of being cleansed of our sins and being, uh, being uh, made as, uh, as right in the sight of God, as I mentioned. And uh, reconciliation is the process of being made in right relationship back with God. And those are both things we lost from the fall of, uh, since the fall of Adam and Eve. And what this passage is telling us is that, that Paul is saying that, you know, one, uh, some of us might maybe in some circumstances be willing to die for someone who is righteous, for someone we viewed as a good person. But Christ was willing to die for all of us while we were sinners, while we were still these awful, terrible people. While we were in disobedience and direct opposition to God and His will, Christ came down from His throne in heaven and sacrificed His life through this awful and terrible process so that we could receive justification and reconciliation back to God. And if, if, this, if this story, if this news doesn't inspire hope and, and thankfulness in us, I don't really know what will. If, and uh, the verse I quoted to open this, this lesson, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who is the sin, sinless person, was made to be sin on the cross so that we could have forgiveness and be made, uh, might have the chance of being made righteous in the sight of God. We have the chance to be seen as Jesus in the sight of God if we accept the sacrifice that He made for us. Now, I, I spent this whole lesson talking about the death of Jesus. And I'm not going to spend too much more time on this next part, but it, it would be a failed opportunity on my behalf if I did not mention the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, after suffering this awful, terrible death, He did not stay in the grave. And the grave that was closed by, with a giant tombstone was not the end of the story end of the story the end of the or not even the end of the story but the continuation of the story was when he rose 3 days later from the grave and because of his resurrection we can have hope that that same spirit that raised him from the dead will also raise us Christians at the end of time and so, before I, close, uh, before I close this lesson, would you go to God in prayer with me? Dear loving, almighty, heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that your Son made for us, the awful, the terrible process that He went through. He did it because He loved us. We thank you for Him. We thank you for that gift. And it's through Him we pray. Amen. Amen. If you are here this morning and you have not been baptized in, into the blood of Jesus, if you have not accepted that forgiveness found in Jesus, we would encourage you to be baptized uh, today. If you are here today and you, are, you have been made Christian and you have been made whole, but for whatever reason 
you need the prayers of the congregation. If you have any need, come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.